When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think hip hop will always be a void for the people. Hey everybody, I'm Reggie Williams, founder and CEO of Ambrosia for Heads. And with me, I have Jake Payne, our editor in chief. And together, this is our What's the Headline podcast. And very, very exciting one. Um, last night, we got to see Ghostface Killer and Raekwon on verses um in my opinion one of the best verses yet um but uh i want to kick it over to you jake and uh have you kind of tee it up yeah i so i would agree i think that this is one of the best ones thus far i full disclosure i didn't watch it in real time i watched it this morning um but you know i i feel like about a year ago we got the ultimate producer battle in dj premier versus rizza and shout out to Premier, it's his birthday, as well as large professors today. I always love that, you know, March 21st marks, you know, two of the goats behind the boards, um, mutual birthday. But I feel like from a rap perspective, this one might be the best. You know, I really think E-40 and Too Short put on a great show. DMX and Snoop, you know, raised the bar. But for true meat and potato hip hop heads, especially Wu-Tang fan heads, which, uh, you know, I certainly fall under this. This was epic. Um, and I, uh, you know, I didn't necessarily know you and I had talked about it, you know, coming into it. We didn't speculate winners or anything like that. But this 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 matchup comes after, you know, the acquisition of Versus by Triller. Um, you know, we didn't know if we would see kind of a, a tone shift. Um, and I thought this one delivered in a major way. So one thing I promised myself I would not do um, I think, you know, with Erica Badu versus Jill Scott, we could say, hey, this is great for the culture. There's no winners. Um, and I think we kind of did it again with Too Short and 40, which was a different kind of battle. I, you know, I love these guys. Within Wu-Tang Clan, um, you know, these are definitely, you know, two of my favorite MCs. And, you know, I, I have love and admiration um, just as a fan for every member of the clan. And over the years, I've, I've gotten to work with and interview and, and do some different things with, I think, just about every member of the uh, nine. I didn't know ODB, but um, this one for me, because these two guys are always my favorite within the clan. So it was an epic showdown. Um, yeah. So I, you know, I thought um, I thought that Ross and Two Chains was another mm -hmm. good one, too, because, yeah. uh, you know, they had, um, you know, you know, two chains had strippers coming out, and you know Ross, yeah. like, you know, what Ross was doing his dance, and you know they had stories. Um, but I think you're right, man. You know, I thought that Jill and Erica told phenomenal stories in between. They really took their time, and I think that was like a three hour um, experience. And so, just hearing them talk about each other and themselves was great. And I thought that Babyface and Teddy Riley still today mm -hmm. might be the best one especially given the two parts you know because yeah. the first time teddy came out with like the, the background dancers and like you know the keyboard and he's going all the way in and 
with the technical difficulties and everything and, and baby faces throwing that slick talk that, that 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 you know subversive grease like you know that was that was ill but in terms of hip-hop like it's hard to think of a better one a better mm-hmm. one. Yeah. yeah and i mean you know any woo head will agree I, I think that um ghost over the years has gotten some interesting commercial recognition i think raekwon lives um, you know, people idolize only built for Cuban links, aka the purple tape. But these these guys are different than you know Method Man or ODB in the sense that you know they never necessarily got some of that huge top forty love. They did and they didn't. Um, so to have an entire versus where people for most of last week have been just talking about not only two of the best MCs in hip hop, not only two of the best MCs in Wu Tang. But great friends. I mean, these guys, um, you know, we know that that this is probably as close of an association as you're going to get. And, 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 you know, you mentioned uh, Teddy and Babyface. That was cool for all the reasons you said, you know, Gucci Mane and Jeezy, which might not have been your favorite or my favorite battle. A lot of context there. And, and that carried itself into the performance. This one was a brotherhood. But I want to finish what I started to say, like, it's so easy to get on here and say, oh, you know, there's no winner. We hip hop won, you know, which we've done. But I I'm going to go with the st- scorecard and I'm going to I'm going to go track by track. And I don't know. Do you want to jump in with me on this one or do you want me just uh, to? Yeah, yeah, let's run it down and, and okay. I'll, I'll chime in if I if I uh, if I object. But yeah, but hold hold the winner to the end. But I'm curious, no, of course, it's like I'm curious because um for me okay no no i'm gonna let you run it down we'll see we'll see yeah and 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 i'll talk about as we go because i think that everything that i anticipated of this 50 percent of it happened but the 50 percent wild card of just the songs they picked um really was surprising and i thought that you know we've had a few weeks that we've known about this and you know i i i wonder you know if they talked amongst each other but they really came with some very close, very thematic, very interesting matchups. But, um, you know, to kick things off was, was you know, one of those wild cards to begin with, you know, um, on Ghost's part, the special delivery remix from GDEP versus Raekwon's feature verse on Outcast, Skew It on the Barbecue. You know, same era songs within two or three years of each other. Um, that said, you know, I'm going to go with Ray on this one. Because, you know, that song is indelible to Ray, you know, Raekwon. And that was such an interesting collaboration. I've spoken to Ray about it. Outcast, you know, Big Boy is always speaking about it. And Special Delivery in my mind, well, well, Ghost was dope on it. I don't think of that version. And it's, it was cool, but Ray, boom, one nothing. Any thoughts from you? I'm going to uh, go with Ghost on that one. I, I don't disagree with anything that you yeah. said. And for me, it's purely... Um, subjective like the special delivery you know the original and that just captured such an era you know mm-hmm. and you talk about interesting collaborations on the ray and outcast side i think it's equally interesting with ghost because Wu was the antithesis of bad boy you mm-hmm. know bad boy was shiny and polished and smooth um and and this was a more grimy beat than than typical for that than mm-hmm. for that bad boy sound but you know to sort of combine like what was you know, the, the, the crown jewel of the underground for New York, you know, that raw, rugged, real with the polished, you know, mainstream, I thought was a real cool combination and goes, 
you know, maintained his identity and kept his presence on it. So I thought, I thought it was a significant collaboration for that. Interesting. Movie. And no one in a million years could have predicted that it opened that way. You know, yeah, like, you know, know the, um, so number two, you know, again, kind of surprise, you had Ghost Dini, which is, you know, one of those, one of those many songs that's just trademark Ghost versus 10 Bricks from um, Ray. And for me, this was a much easier one. I'm Ghost Dini all the way. I don't know if you you feel yeah, any different. I'll give you that one. I'll give you that one. Yeah. Um, boom. Okay. So like already, you know, they've hit some different corners. Then fourth chamber, you know, Ghost, in my opinion, just six out of five, 11 out of 10 feature verse on Liquid Swords versus House of Flying Daggers by Raekwon. And that was interesting to me because, you know, in that first post 36 chambers run i mean those albums are sacred from every member and i think that even holds true into dex debut you god's debut master killer's debut like we as fans the nostalgia of it we hold on a higher regard so for ray to come with a 2009 joint which isn't you know arguably one of the best records um in that part of his career surprised me that said boom fourth chamber all the way you know. Yeah, we'll get into it, but I think the diversity of that, uh, actually, the both of them showed is what struck me at this point mm -hmm. because, you know, they could have easily stayed in that, you know, '93 to like '97 box or so. But the, the, right out the gate, they showed that they were going to do something different than that. Mm -hmm. And I think what struck me at this point was that, first of all, they they, they came out on time, and yeah. I can't remember a single versus that ever started on time or anything close to right on time. But then also, at this point, they're just going through them, right? There wasn't much back and forth, much dialogue. And I started getting concerned at this point because, for me, we all know the records. And it's great to hear them again. It's great to hear, you know, hear them kind of, you know, rap over them. But I enjoy the banter, you know, the stories, the behind-the-scenes things. And they hadn't really started to open up until right around here or so. So that's when, that's when it starts to really get exciting for me. Yeah, just to remind you that this is a special event. It's more than just like a, a flat out playlist. And, you know, I um I know you paid really close attention to some of that banter and, and maybe even like learned a thing or two, because I know that these are guys like, you know, and, and this, the reverse is true of so many artists, but these are guys maybe that I'm a little bit more, um, you know, engulfed in just as a fan than, than perhaps you are. Um, but yeah, I mean, Fourth Chamber, you agree with me on that one? I do, I do. I also say that um, yeah, I started off work, well, watching on IG, um, mm -hmm. you know, and you know, I, I cast it up to the Apple TV. I was watching it on television, and everything, and I just I wanted to check out Triller to see what the execution was like. Mm -hmm. And when I put on Triller, I was like, huh, okay, it looks just like the Apple Music with like great high, you know, HD. They had some buffering issues, but you know, aside from that. It looked exactly like the Apple Music presentation, really slick, really uh, well produced. Um, and I was, it, it really started to, you know, I started to realize the full impact of this deal because I'm a guy who was not on Triller before. Mm -hmm. Now I've downloaded it. I'm going to be on it, you know, periodically. Um, you know, I see like they got boxing matches and things like that. Like this is a master stroke and I think it's going to be a very, very valuable thing for them going forward. Yeah, man. I mean, you put me on the game with this whole square thing, you know, in the title move. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of new to this whole stock thing, but I went out and I bought a few shares of, of, of square because of you, because okay. of this podcast. And uh, man, I was, I was riding high through the week, 
and then that stuff, you know, just took a took a nosedive. But I don't I don't know if Triller's publicly traded or not. But uh, it's good to hear that 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 part was true. And I think buffering issues for the first one of this magnitude, we're going to give them that because again, last year with versus itself, there was a learning curve there on the tech side. Yeah, but but to your point, it's hard to go against mighty healthy. You know, uh, that one is just. Oh, you mean uh, fourth chamber? Fourth chamber. Sorry, fourth chamber. Fourth chamber. Um, but um, yeah, which leads to the next one. Not next one, which was mighty healthy versus incarcerated Scarfaces. And wow, I mean, just time out for a second because I think that you know, take thirty six chambers out of the equation from a beat standpoint of the entire Wu Tang catalog. These are probably my two favorite beats. Just insane. Just, you know, that, that dirty. And Incarcerated Scarfaces is, is one of those things. Like that card beats 50 cards out of the deck. But the one card in the deck that beats it is Mighty Healthy. To me, Ghost could throw Mighty Healthy against anything in Ray's catalog and catch a win. Um, and very, you know, and, and he went first, if I'm not mistaken. So the fact that he put that down in Ray through what is one of his best cards, give or take criminology, man. But, uh, you know, by a photo finish, I'm going mighty healthy on that one. It's a tough one for me, man. It's really, really tough. Uh, Incarcerated Scarfaces is probably my second or third favorite will beat ever. You know, Mm -hmm. Cream is number one. And then it's incarcerated scarfaces ice cream and daytona 500 are, are like mm. right there you know you know and so and, and i love mighty healthy too um you know the fact that like ghost held mighty healthy down completely by himself mm-hmm. um might give him the nod but like you know since you know he had the assist obviously on you know on incarcerated so i, I don't know man it's i gotta i, I think i'll give that one to ray I would give that one. To really? You. Okay. I mean, and again, I'm not mad at that, but, but if you were to ask me, what does, who is Ghostface killer? If my mom were to sit down and want to hear it, I would play her mighty healthy. Is that right? And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> luckily that hasn't happened yet. She might feel it. I don't know. But uh, so, I mean, you know, our count is like one or two off and you're leaning Ray right now. I'm leaning ghost. So then we go into black Jesus versus live from New York. Another interesting one. And um you know ray brought songs like i think i think given the pushback from fans as dope as ray is as iconic as he is to grab from some of the albums that he did surprise me again he didn't go just purple tape one purple tape two group stuff he you know he moved the ball around and um but black jesus you know perhaps i'm just being subjective but that that takes it I think I think I'll give it to you. I think I'll give it to you on that one for sure. I think I'll give it to you. Next up, the watch versus it's yours. Now this one was interesting because um, if I was to pick, it would be very close to my top five. My favorite song on Wu Tang Forever is it's yours. Love the video, love the song, but it's a posse cut. You know, it's a it's a crew cut, and I I love the record. I think it was great to remind people on the platform like versus. But to put that against the watch, which is tricky again, because it's Ray and Ghost battling each other, um, Raekwon playing a watch, you know, um, I got to go with that. And again, I love it because this was a song that was bootlegged. Um, 
you know, ultimately, I think held back by very white sample clearance issues, not the only artist in rap, but to bring that and just just salute the fans that way. I went with that. I wasn't expecting it. Um, you know, I saw other people on my timeline that, that forecast this being played. But again, I'm, I'm, I don't mean to sound like a ghost stand, but I'm, I'm going GFK. Yeah, I thought it was a bold choice for sure, for all the reasons you mentioned. Uh, it's yours is, is, and I agree with you, um, being like a posse cut definitely um, makes it tougher, but it's, it's one of the classics, another one of those classics for me, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I, I kind of gave the knot to Ray on that just, just because of the record more so than me. Okay. Had you, are you the type of head that knew of the watch though? I did not. I did okay. Not. Yeah. And that's tricky. I mean, again, that's where, and I love this because, you know, you could be watching with your friends and we're all bringing, you and I spoke about that a lot with Gucci Jeezy, like we're all bringing our own educations and experiences in. So next up, Ghost Impossible versus 100 Rounds Ray. I go Raekwon this one. And, and this was a dope moment as a hip hop head because you and I have spoken on this podcast about, you know, the way that it was written lives in nomadic shadows. And there's people out here that ride just as hard for it was written. But I think of the iconic 90s rappers. I don't know if there's a sophomore slump in the perception of fans quite like Raekwon Second, which I always struggle, struggle to pronounce, but immobility. Um, yeah. And Versus is dope because that album never measured up to the hype. And yet last night for me this morning, that moment, not expecting it, I listened in this weird platform and I'm like, yo, this joint is nice. And it's so, you know, and, and, and it's, it's a good place to put it. I'm going Raekwon, 100 rounds. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, man. Um, you're right. Immobilarity is something I bought on CD as soon as it came out. And I didn't give it that many spins. You know, I gave it a mm-hmm. few spins because it was Ray. And so it was cool to hear him pull it out and have it age the way that it did. You know what I mean? Like yeah. some records just age better. And so I, I, I think I'll give it to you. I think I'll give it to you on that. Yeah. Okay. So for me, by my count, this is Ghost 5, Ray 2. Yeah. Next up, Cherche Le Ghost versus Ice Cream. You said just a moment ago, Ice Cream, one of your favorite Woo Beats of all time. This is sacrilege. I'm going to get hate on this comment section for this. It's, it's one of my most overrated Wu-Tang joints. That's me, myself. That being said, and and it's and I love Cherche Le Ghost, which is an easy song for people to hate because it's basically like the the Puff Daddy formula of taking a disco record, reworking it. Obviously, Ghost is rapping hard as nails, but I love that record. In the moment of last night, I would objectively, I could not not give it to Ice Cream. You know that that takes it. Wow, I mean, I know what a big record. Cherche La Ghost was like, I mean, it was a massive record. I remember being in clubs like Nels and Two Eyes and just remembering what it felt like in the club when that song came on. It was different than um, than than um, Ice Cream. Ice Cream had, you know, it was like a tunnel type record where mm-hmm. like, dudes were just like moshing and going crazy. Cherche La Ghost had that like that swag to it. Um, Man, and if I remember correctly, I, I think this is the one where Ghost broke out his first dance. And, um, and showmanship. 
somebody was like, we have our first meme of the night. Like, I mean, it was a, it was a real moment because yeah. he just got so much like charisma, you know? Um, but dude, I already told you ice cream is like top three woo beats for me. I, I got to go with ice cream. Yeah. And I want to give a caveat to throw myself some bail here as when ice cream came out and that was around my like all in season of, of hip hop, you know, the love affair, Loved it. Loved the video. Um, you know, at points in my life, the lexicon from the song, you know, has has become part of my vernacular. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, you got to go. Um, next up, you had New God Flow versus State of Grace. And this is another, you know, I've spent some time going hard for Ghost. It's kind of the same thing you were talking about with the special delivery remix. I mean, that was a really fun time of ghosts popping up on yet another unexpected remix. I love that joint, but you know, I'm, I'm still going to have to go state of grace on this one. Okay. So we, we flip-flopped on this one, man, because, uh, or actually we stayed consistent because first of all, when that, it was one of my favorite Kanye beats ever. Um, Mm. It was so unexpected. And it was part of that Good Fridays, you know, um, you know, what Kanye kind of revolutionized things with that that release, like every Friday of a, a beat from my beautiful dark twisted fantasy. Um, and Ghost, you know, obviously he was on the hook, um, you know, as as the sample, but to get his full verse was incredible, and to hear him play it last night. I was shocked. Uh, you know, I didn't think that this one was going to be one he pulled out of the bag. Mm. You know? um, and then it, it made you think, wow, Ghost had a record with Kanye. You know, that's just so, like, unexpected. And that's so big, you know. Um, and, you know. Peak Kanye, you know. Yeah. And, and, and this is 2011, I believe. And, yeah. You know, and, and I'm also big. And first of all, I'm a big fan of the the recent classics. But when you think about it, this is 10 years ago. So it's not even that recent, right? But, you know, I think a lot of people think about classics as being something from the 90s. Yeah. But I think that there's a lot of classic material from the O's and the, and the 20 teens. And this is one of those that just reminded me of how good that music was. So, yeah, I gave this one to New God Flow. And I, I'm not mad at that, you know, and I didn't expect it either because, you know, Kanye's stock musically is a little, you know, especially that era. We're not sure. But Ghost pulled it out. It worked. I'm not mad at your choice, even though it's different than mine. You know, apart from, so next up, Nutmeg, another joint I love versus Criminology. I mean, Criminology is right there with Incarcerated Scarfaces of just, you know, first of all, one of my favorite joints on Only Built for Cuban Links. But just that was my first favorite song, you know, from these guys outside of the Woo, woo moment. And it just was like, unlike anything I'd ever heard in my life. So if anything was going to beat Nutmeg, it was that, um, you know, which for me, all of a sudden, um, evens the score five five. Got no argument for me on criminology, you know. So I think by the count, I got Ray up by like one at this mm-hmm. point. Yeah. One Next up, by two, um, by two. Yeah, yeah. Aided against. Um, yeah, you, uh, you, uh, you froze for a second there, so. Oh, word. Can I say again? Yeah, so next up, you know, Ray went to the Woo catalog and brought out Cream. And I think, you know, he is as, as entitled as anyone to do that. You know, Meth wrote the hook, but it's that Raekwon verse 
is one of those verses that I will always know every lyric to, you know, it's, it's etched in my mind. And, uh, you know, that was an easy win for me against Hollow, which is a record I love from Ghost. Ghost evolved at that point, kind of past the, uh, the RZA Reliant albums, although he still had a presence. I got to go Cream. And, and unlike my opinion on it's yours, um, Ray really, really, really earned the right to, you know, that's his joint. Man, like I said, my all-time favorite Wu joint. And so, yeah, it wasn't a question for me. Um, just it's just so amazing it's so iconic every time you hear it like i never ever get tired of that song man like uh, yeah so absolutely absolutely Cream for me on that. next up really surprised me because you know rainy days is a very 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 important record to raekwon i gotta say i'm a hip-hop fan i've been buying i've been buying vinyl you know since i was a teenager I know that I know of the rainy days remix. I believe I've owned it, but I never thought that I would see that in this battle. Um, if I'm not mistaken, the remix is by Mr. Dalvin Jodeci and Diamond D, an unlikely, very unlikely, um, yeah. you know, duo. Um, and it goes against Daytona 500. And that surprise factor, I think, counts for something. You know, I, I really, again, was enthused to see the watch being played. Daytona 500, uh, gotta, gotta, gotta go with it. And again, you know, the charisma, I didn't, as a timeout, you know, these guys were rapping a lot over their vocals. You know, that was one of the things I expected. It's going to happen, but, you know, Ghost helped sell the record a little bit more, which makes sense because you're not going to go to a Ghostface concert and not see Daytona 500. I would be curious to know if Raekwon performs Rainy Day's remix ever. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the things, you know, at the top of um, the session, one of the things they both said is that they hadn't performed in over a year, you know, and like it really drove it home. Like it's been, uh, you know, almost exactly a year since versus versus launch. I think the first one was Scott Storch and um, I can't remember who he even battled, but like, um, but, Wouldn't, yeah, but, you know, just, you could see the enjoyment that they had from being up there and giving it their all. And I don't know how many people were in the studio with them. You know, we saw people coming in and out. They're clearly performing though for the camera and you just see, you have to step back and remember, this is what these guys do, man. They, they yeah. entertain their performers and they're phenomenal at it and in different ways too, you know, just Ghost is just so animated um, and, you know, and Ray is just so smooth. So um, Daytona 500, Classic record, classic sample. You know, I had to give it to it. I had to give it to it. You can easily remember why. I know they were label mates at the time, but it's easy to remember why Jay-Z selected Ghost to help open up, you know, Fade to Black, um, you know, that concert, because Ghost is such a good performer. And, you know, Ray too. And I know that when it comes to Woo, we talk a lot on the performance tip about meth and, and more on that to come. But yeah, these guys are showmen. And for so often... I like the way you just categorize it. So often we lump them together, you know, great, great friends have been on countless songs together, but, you know, Ghost is, you know, as rugged as any MC I could think of. And while Ray's subject matter is rugged, he's, he's got a smooth presence and a smooth delivery. And you can, Versus was dope because you can see the contrast in these guys that, you know, are so often just, you know, associated together. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, next up, Glaciers of Ice versus Run. 
I'm going to go controversial here. I went run. I, um, I like that because it, it comes from a time again, where ghost is showing the evolution of his own catalog. I thought that was a really big record for him. It showed a new sound that stepped a little bit beyond what he had done um, in the nineties and Y2K. I think if you were to probably pull uh, 10 people on the street, I might be in the minority, but I'm curious to see what you say. Yeah, I think you're in the minority on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I had Glacier's advice, but I, de- I definitely I definitely feel you. Yeah. And I understand why, why you would, would go that direction. Man, and I mean, this isn't going to help me on the next one either. And, and Raekwon, I've had the opportunity to do some like consulting for Ray over the years and, and, and you know, write some of his bios and stuff like that. I hope... Ray, if you're tuned in, man, it's all love. But on the next one, John Blaze versus It's Over. And again, you know, this is the same kind of casualty of It's Yours. John Blaze, classic record. Great to hear it when you're sitting on your couch on a Saturday night, or in my case, drinking coffee on a Sunday morning. But Ray's rolling that record. You know, you cut up the pie, you know, five or six ways. Versus It's Over was a really ghost-dominant joint. I gotta go ghost. Wow, man. I mean, this is a tough one because everything you say, I agree with. Um, but John Blaze was such, that record was one of the greatest posse cuts of all time. You still call shit John Blaze. So, you know, I see that. <laughs> okay. All right. I remember that one. <laughs> no, no, no lie. We had a, we had a debate, you and me over text message one time with a headline, how apropos over that slang. And that's funny because I mentioned ice cream. I've never, <laughs> I've never in 36 years called anything John Blaze. Yeah, man. Be a reflection yeah, I mean, of me. Yeah. I mean, listen, like I remember uh playing that record in my office when I was a lawyer for some clients that came in and having them just like bouncing off the walls. Um the crazy thing is too is that Ray's verse wasn't even the best verse, in my opinion. The best right. verse was pun. Like, you know, he said, even if I stuttered, I would still sh- shit on you. I mean, I mean <laughs> yeah. Um but but the record was just such a moment, man, um, for New York. And, you know, um, you know, Fat Joe, who, you know, if people listen to Fat Joe in the 20 teens and 10 and O's probably wouldn't even know that he came from that style of rap, you know, um, Jada, Nas, it was just such a crazy record. Um, I got to give it to Ray on this one, man. Okay. I, I got to give I, I couldn't believe he played it, too, you know? Yeah surprised me he, he has so much material and the pull it just was a reminder yeah i do this you know so mm-hmm. yeah, I gave it to John and that was a different era you know and that was an era yeah okay not mad at that next up yayo versus one i seem like you know i, I i'm wearing a ghost face hoodie right now i gave it to one on that one and again you know both of these guys did a really good job of spreading out their whole catalog, um, including features, including rare remixes and guest verses. But uh, one is just, you know, Beat Nuts production. Yeah, no, that, that's, I, I'm going all the way. I don't know if you feel different. Yeah, I'll give, you, I'll give it to you on that one. Yeah. Okay, all right. Um, and then, you know, on the, on the last chapter of it, we had another great one, um, you know, Verbal Intercourse versus Never Be the Same Again. Oh, wait, wait, we skipped one. Oh, excuse me, excuse yeah, me, excuse yeah. me. Rich and Black versus Back Like That. Yeah. Um, 
two records that I am not especially, you know, crazy about in 2004 when Ghost put out Back Like That, you know, Hot 97 and Power 105, love the record. I was, you know, very much a post-backpacker dude and was like, come on, man, this should not be the single. Um, that said, you know, last night reminded me that I, I do like that record. And head-to-head against that, I'm going to give it to Ghost and Neo. I never thought I'd say Neo's name on this podcast, but here we are. Yeah, man, it's just such a it's such a creative record. Uh, and again, just shows Ghost's versatility, you know. Yeah. Um, just... You know, who makes a love song like that in hip hop? You know, um, it's so vulnerable but so grimy at the same time. Um, you know, the sample is dope and soulful. Like, yeah, yeah. That, that record is that's a really incredible record to me on so many levels. So yeah, I have to go back like that. And that's a chamber for Ghost too that that doesn't get talked about enough. I mean, you know, truly, you know, when Drake made Wu Tang Forever. I feel like Ghost's way of talking about relationships, the good, the bad, and the ugly, um, I would like to think that Drake knows how to do that a little bit in that derivative. Um, and yeah, that record absolutely works. Ghost is a master at that and a big fan of the Force MDs, work with them. And it's funny because he'll make records that sound very like 20 years later, Force MDs to me, that might be one of them. Yeah. Um, so next up, and I got ahead of myself, was Verbal Intercourse versus Never Be the Same Again. Let it be known. I'm going all the way Ray on this one. I know I was, you know, veering into ghost stand territory, but nah, uh, verbal intercourse. That's another like wild card in Uno that that changes the power. No argument for me on that one. Yeah. Cash still rolls scary hours versus the summertime remix. This one was another I did not expect to see um, at all. And, you know, again, I played Wu-Tang Forever a few years ago, in the last year and a half. I remembered this song a lot from 1997. I uh, did not expect to see it. I forgot that it was even called that. That being said, that's where it went. Um, so, you know, that's uh, another one for, for Chef. Yeah, I'll give you that one, too. I'll give you that one, too. Yeah, yeah. So this one I'm really curious, and, and we're on the final two here. But you, you love to tell me on this podcast, and you've told me long before this podcast existed, I'm not an R&B dude. You know, I know I love soul music. <laughs> I but, said, you know, Julie, you're not an R&B dude. Yes, yes, you say it about me, you yes. know, and, uh, you know, there's some racial undertones to that. that we- <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this one, you had the Jodeci Freaking You remix versus the Gonna Love Me remix. And this is funny, little bit of exposition here. Um, you know, I can't, you know, I, I own Jodeci Records. I can't tell you that I knew this remix like that. Um, didn't live through the R&B of that era. I remember Jodeci on A Living Color, but I didn't have those CDs until, you know, much later, you know, for obvious reasons in my life. But uh, Tiana Taylor, Gonna Love Me Remix, that was a song as far as Ambrosia for Heads, came out on a Friday. I passed on and it was one of those situations where you hit me at like 4.59 p.m., we're like, we need this up. On and a Friday, on a Friday. On a Friday, man. <laughs> you know. And you know what? You were 100% right because that record has aged so well to me. Um, and that's where I go with that. But I'm curious, you know, you, uh, I defer to your opinion a bit on this one. And the video too, right? The video, wasn't that the video where uh, she dressed like uh, Mary and they did the, the yeah. Mary and Meth thing? Um, yeah, very colorful. Yeah. Um, it's a great record, man. I really enjoy that record. Really do. Um, but, you know, um, 
Jodeci, you know, freaking you. Like, dude, that's another one of those records. Like, that's Hot 97 in its heyday. That's like New York, you know, windows down, like, you know, record blasting, you know, day and night. And Ray just got like so cold with it on that, you know, that R&B beat. And that was like the time when hip hop and R&B, the union between the two, I thought was perfect. You know, mm-hmm. I think Puff, like with, with Jodeci and Mary, just like created something new and fresh and authentic. Um, and again, putting Ray on that, Jodeci were rugged dudes too, you know. Um, the, I, I'll go with that record. And and that was very much the Kid Capri Ron G effect too, you know, of like those blends and how that inspired music of the rugged and then the R&B. Cool. Good to know. And I saw, so, you know, even though I watched it Sunday morning, I I like to see what the real time conversation is for these very reasons, perspective. And I knew that that's a blind spot for me. And I saw a lot of my friends and a lot of my trusted hip hop head sources going crazy over the Jodeci remix. So, yeah. They ended on a pensive note, um, which I thought was so interesting. And again, one of those things I didn't expect. Um, you know, Raekwon, can it all be so simple? Classic, you know, versus uh, Ghost, all that I got is you, which, um, you know, especially during my high school years, my mom was like A1 to me. I mean, still is, but that record at a time in my life gave me a hip-hop version besides Dear Mama that I could very much bond with. Like, that's a sacred record to me. That being said, um, again, you got to be objective. And, and just going performance, performance, I'm going to come back to Ray. Can it, can it all be so simple? I mean, and that record is, they're both timeless, but that one has the edge up. Which brings me, and then I want to hear you and, and your tally, brings me to 11-9, uh, Tony Starks for mayor. Yeah, I mean, I went with Can It All Be So Simple also, you know, um, you know, I guess I was standing for Ray kind of like you were for, for, for Ghost for a minute, uh, but this record is just so, like, classic. It is one of the, um, you know, greatest Wu records ever. I mean, just that whole album, obviously, but that and Cream, um, you know, were two of my standout records on 36 Chambers. Mm-hmm. So I went with that record, and I think that puts me at at least eleven and nine. Ray, I might have mm-hmm. been higher than that, but but uh, you know, I guess I gave it to Ray. And and so the interesting thing too is that they themselves, you kick, you started this off saying you weren't gonna just like you know um, say it's good for the culture, soft sell it and say it, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they said it like you know, go said a, a few times. I'm, I'm about to you know drop this on this TV on his head, like you know, he was like. <laughs> He was yeah. battling, and they were like, nah, this is a competition. They referred to it as a battle several times. Mm-hmm. So I love that they, you know, brought that competitive spirit to it as well, you know. Um, so I would give it to Ray. Uh, but, again, I, I also know that I was just um, – I'm a fan of all those guys. But, you know, for me, it probably goes meth, Ray, Ghost, you know, and then, you know, I can go down the line, uh, but like in, in that order for me. And so mm-hmm. I think I skewed just based on my own personal taste. Yeah. No. And I like that. Again, that's one of the reasons why we have this podcast is you and I agree on so many things, but the subtleties come in and, you know, this one, at one point I thought that, that Ray had won and then I kind of did the math for me. And I, and again, like if these guys come on with the mindset of, Hey, this is just good for the culture 
I don't think it creates the impact and, and the fact that they wanted to drive discourse, discussion, make it exciting and competitive. That is ultimately what has me, um, you know, reaching for mobility on a Sunday. Like now I'm, I'm totally in the headspace of like, yo, I got to revisit that in Lex Diamond. And, you know, it's got me ready to play the Pretty Tony album. And that's what Versus is. And so, you know, in the case of uh, 40 versus Too Short, we got an album with the Versus kind of a a side b side with some collabos album at the end of this we didn't get an album i hope we do soon both of these guys are prolific but we did get um a little bit of new music you want to talk about the little teaser we got from gfk yeah let's talk about um the moments outside of the battle now uh, so mm-hmm. you, you teed it up already in terms of new music it's a couple things so first of all we got a joint from from ghost uh that i'm pretty sure was new um it had the same sample as Young, Gifted, and Black by Big Daddy Kane. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, incredibly soulful. Uh, like you said, just a, just a bit, just a, just a bit, but enough to like really like say, huh, I gotta, I gotta hear this joint in full. Just that sample has always been one of my favorites. It's one of the first songs um, that I, I just went back and said, I, I said intentionally, I didn't learn the words just by repeat listens. I intentionally study like you know rewind that line memorize it next line like for young gibson and blacks so that that sample like is like evokes something like visceral in me mm. so to hear ghost freak it was really dope and then raekwon played a song and ghost was like yo what is this beat like it, and it was like a song featuring griselda uh and you know everyone talks about griselda and that woo connection and so to hear you know, him rhyming, and I don't even think we heard their part, but like, but to hear him rhyming on the joint and knowing that Griselda is going to be a part of it was a lot, very, very exciting for me, you know. Um, but that wasn't, that wasn't the only moment for me. Um, there were quite a few things, but some things that stood out for me were uh, at the end, they started playing disco joints, you know, uh, and, and Ray and Ghost are, are just dancing. Like, you can tell, this is their childhood and, you know, they were living it and like just totally free. That was super dope. Um, you know, go, first of all, there were outfit changes, you know, ghost mm-hmm. came out in the two-tone wallabies and they had a, a moment like an interlude where they both went and changed and Ray came back out in a t- uh, t-shirt uh, with the dookie chain and, um, you know, ghost had on a full, full length fur. I think it was a yeah. killer joint, uh, you know, so just and and he did a third change too like so just like the showmanship again we talk about performers they really took this seriously you know um the setup it wasn't like you know anything crazy like uh where um um too short and e40 had cars and and all the props and the nail salon but there were some subtleties they had the the egyptian dog i think it was anubis like in the middle they had chairs and so they were conveying that kind of egyptian king kind of thing um, just the love and support that the clan showed by showing up, you know, RZA came through, um, Master Killer, Inspector Deck, uh, YDB even came through, you know, so that was dope. Um, you know, there were just a lot of things that stood out to me. Um, you know, they had some great things they talked about too, you know, in addition to saying it was a battle, um, they talked honestly about like the group. They said, look, Ghost said it's hard to keep nine people together. You know, and, you know, there's a lot of conversation over the years about the drama that ensued with the group and the fallouts, but there's not enough 
celebration to me about the fact these are still, um, you know, guys who can still tour the world, you know, um, when, when they're able to and uh, come together for records, you know, 25 years into their careers and nine personalities is a lot to manage, man. And for yeah. them to be able to pull that feat off is amazing. Uh, you know, and, you know, uh, Ghost had some existential moments there. You know, he, uh, toward the end, he was like, life is like a video game with only one man. Uh, <laughs> you know, he told Raekwon that, you know, he, he told us all that he tells Ray that he loves him often, like almost daily. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I think one of the coolest things, uh, two of the coolest things for me were um, Raekwon revealed that he's writing a book uh, called From the Staircase to the Stage. And then Ghost announced that he's dropping six albums this year, including Cuban Three. <laughs> Whether or not that materializes, we'll see. But the other cool thing was, and we talked about this last week, that um, all the past participants of Versus are going to be shareholders in the franchise now going forward, now that Triller has, has bought them. So I didn't know if that was going to apply to people ongoing, but um, they announced very you know, uh, vocally that they're now shareholders and Triller and Versus too. So that, that was dope. It was really I cool. want to make sure I understand something you just said, though, um, because as I, I played it and I was doing notes, Ghost said he's dropping Cuban Links 3. Uh, I, he's been talking about Supreme Clientele yeah. too for a while. So yeah. I just want to be clear. Yeah, I mean, that's what I, that's what I saw. Like, I missed yeah. that part. This is what I read. But yeah, I mean, and I mean, if anyone's entitled to like take the title, he is, you know, given Word. his prominent role, you know. So, uh, but yeah, yeah, that's what yeah. I, I thought it was great, and I like you bringing up the the Wallabies and the 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 Dookie ropes because you know we think of '80s hip hop with the you know props and artifacts, Slick Rick with the eye patch, Flav with the clock, you know, so on and so forth, and Wu had that, and I mean those guys, I think Slick Rick was more influential to them than anybody. Um, but, you know, they kept it going and, and brought that. And, you know, no, I love the cars with, with 40 in, sh- in short and, and the, the manicure thing with two chains, but these guys kind of proved that they're cut from that rugged New York, late 80s, early 90s cloth. And I, I really like some of the stories of, you know, writing verses together. I mean, it, and these guys came up from true poverty, you know, poverty I'll never understand. And these hunger pains that they brought into the music. And, you know, these are two extremely, um, you know, consistent in the way that the albums that they put out this year, I'm instantly going to press play on, you know, not all of their albums have always been great to me, but they, uh, they prove very, very well that hip hop can age and mature beautifully. And um, I thought it was just a, a really, really cool night. And I'm glad that this particular versus happens now versus, you know, versus pun intended early on a year ago where it might've gotten lost in the sauce when this was kind of still a word of mouth thing. So I hope that this inflection point brings great awareness as versus wants it for its new deal to these two guys um, at a time when they so deserve it. Yeah, you know, one thing that surprised me is that, um, and I, I don't know what the trailer numbers were, but on IG, the highest that it reached, at least that I saw, was 100,000 simultaneous viewers. You mm-hmm. know, context, both Gucci and Brandy and Mon- Gucci and, and uh, Jeezy and Brandy and Monica uh, eclipsed a million mark. You know, um, uh, Erica and 
Jill Scott were at like 750. Babyface and, and Teddy Riley were at the 500,000 mark. RZA and Primo were at the 250,000 mark. So I was surprised about that. You know, I, I don't know what the total numbers were. Obviously, we're in a different place with COVID now. Spring is in the air. Um, I don't know how many people caught it on YouTube. Yeah. But I do know that just based on Twitter and, you know, and, uh, you know, other and publications and things like that, the, and just group chats that I have, you know, the impact in the culture was felt like um, mightily, you know. Um, yeah. Another cool thing. So afterwards, there were a few announcements of upcoming verses. One next one is going to be Earth, One and Fire versus the Isley Brothers, which should be cool. You know, that's in the Patti LaBelle, Gladys Knight kind of camp of like, you know, 70s artists. And I'll be, be interested to see what kind of numbers they have. It's, I think, very strategically smart in that you'll drive a whole different generation of people to drop, to uh, download that Triller app, you know, so that's that's pretty cool. But then the one I'm super excited for is um, Method Man versus Red Man. Yeah. And aptly, that will be on 420. Word. Yeah. yeah. I'm excited about that, too. And, and I'm a music fan. Like, part of me was like, damn, Earth, Wind & Fire versus Osley Brothers, this like watch the next Tom Joyner cruise when pandemic's over is going to be sponsored by Triller. But uh, I like this and I will tune in for that. And yeah, Red, you know, Reggie Noble versus Clifford Smith is going to be dope. And we, we got a little, you know, tease of them during the D'Angelo versus. So man, that'll be, uh, that'll be really fun, which also, I mean, by the time that's over, you've had three different woo related verses, which you know, at the idea of this brand just says a lot. And I know that folks love to ask, you know, when's the next Wu-Tang album? Is the crew good? And all of that. The fact that these guys are working so closely with a new and emerging platform is just really dope. Word, word. So um, we talked about Griselda and Ray having a joint with Griselda. Um, Another one of the big things of the weekend is that on Friday, Benny delivered his The Plugs I Met 2 album. And um, you and I, you know, texted about this throughout the weekend. I know we differ in opinion about it. Um, what do you, what was your thought about the album? Interesting. Yeah. And I think what I'm about to say might be different than what you think based on our text. Because you and I don't write, you know, essays to each other. We're very, you know, terse and obviously living our lives. I think Benny the Butcher's Plugs I Met Too, objectively, is the best rap album we've had so far in 2021. I think it's, you know, a very good to near great rap album. Um, you know, and I, I mean that in the step back, like already, you know, the best this year. But to me, I don't know if you were to look at the last four solo releases from Benny, and by solo, I mean not counting the Griselda Shady album. This one might be, you know, it might be the Caboose, which... That's also the, the, the way that I equate that to is that's like saying Stakonia is the caboose in the first four Outcast albums. This is still, you know, a very good to great album, but you didn't like that. Yeah, my response was that's like saying Section 80 is the weakest link in Kendrick's catalog, or his last four albums, you know, and that's like against Good Kid, Mad City, um, you know, To Pimp a Butterfly and Damn, like, it's not to me saying a whole bunch. I think this one stands not only, um, I think it stands with his, the rest of his catalog for sure. Mm-hmm. And, and with those four, 
I agree with you. I think it's the best album thus far this year. It's impressive to me for a number of reasons. First of all, um, the guy's consistency over the last couple of years, and we'll get into that in a few minutes, has just been off the charts. Um, Secondly, it's his second project in, in the last two albums to be produced solely by one producer, Harry Fraud. It's different, extremely different than Burden of Proof, but it still feels very much like his identity, you know? Um, thirdly, it's coming on, you know, it's like uh, Ray's Only Built, Built for Cuban Links, you know, part two, like in that the name carries so much weight. Because to me, Plugs I Met is Benny, the first one is Benny's best work. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I would call that as, and I know you might you might skew the burden of proof. Um, and Tana Talk 2 is obviously amazing too, but Plugs I Met is his best work. So to follow that up is, is raising expectations. And I had hugely high expectations coming in and I wasn't disappointed, you know, and I, and I, and I think you reset my ears too, because you texted me before I listened to it. So I came in prepared to be a little dis- disappointed and it took me like a song or two to kind of catch it and, yeah. and, and where he was going sonically. But by the time I got to overall, I was like, okay, I'm in. And I started like thinking about songs that, to add to the playlist. Uh, you know, I thought the joint with Chinks, his two with Chinks were amazing. Um, Plug Talk with Two Chains, I thought was great. Um, you know, Fat Joe, we talked about him and how He's become like almost like a rap pop icon of late, mm-hmm. but to see him on a record like this is really cool. Um, you know, Thanksgiving, you know, I think we uh, differed in our reception to that when it first came out, but I'm curious, how did you hear that song in the context of the album? Obviously? It's, it's wild to think of a single being the, the last song on the album, you know, and, and Benny and Griselda make these albums that feel like serial pulp novels. I mean, but authentic as fuck. And uh, yeah, I, I liked it. I liked the familiarity I had with it because I knew the album was over and not for nothing. So again, like the first thing I told you about this album was this Benny dot, dot, dot. And I meant that in high praise. And then just being, you know, guys that, are often, you know, kind of figuring out the yearbook committee of hip hop. I then made the point of, you know, I'm not so sure within the last four. And so you just walk through the track list. And to me, the plugs I met one back in 2019, what made that album really, really special to me was it was a moment where Benny was punching up and he had arrived. And so features with Pusha T and Black Thought were massive to me. Because they showed, and, and we had narratives on AFH that very much, you know, cemented this and reinforced it. Benny, you know, proved that he could rap side by side with two of the best right now and two of the best of all time. And on top of it, true to the Griselda formula, he had RJ Payne on there. You know, he brought folks with him. This album, to me, there's two features I really like on. I love the Two Chains feature, which we've spoken about on this podcast you are a far bigger, you know, Titty Boy fan than I am. I thought Two Chains' verse is is great. I love the Rick Hyde joint. You know, Rick Hyde has been, you know, a producer MC in Benny's camp and Survivor's Remorse. As you go through the track list, that's my joint. And number two is overall, which you also mentioned with Chinks. You know, God bless the dead. 
um, you know, which uh, was something I think Harry Fraud brought to the table. Hmm. And you said in the document, you said that this is recorded at the same time as Burden of Proof. So our man, you know, Matt Conaway, uh, you know, put that in the press release, which blew me away. So, you know, somewhere in 2020, 2019, you know, speculating there, Benny was making these albums side by side, which is crazy to me. And that's in the press release. And on one hand, he was flying out to L.A. working with Hit Boy and Harry Fraud's a Brooklyn native. He was also working in BK with uh, La Musica to Harry Fraud. So, I mean, that makes it even more impressive to me that he can juggle the two completely differently sounding sonic, you know, projects like that. Like, this guy's a monster, man. To have the kind of like, you know, and, and first of all, those four albums that we mentioned are all recorded within it's not, within two years, I think, mm-hmm. or another. Um, it, to have that kind of output. So everyone else we talked about, you know, Kendrick and um, you mentioned uh, Outkast, those albums came out over like, you know, four, seven, 10 year spans. Yeah. So for this dude to do that kind of quality at that volume in two years, I think is is unreal, you know. Um, so you mentioned the original. I, I'll give you. I, I don't think it's. I, I don't think it's better than the original or as good as the original. But but again, that's one of the best albums by one of the best rappers in in hip hop right now. So it's not saying a ton. Um, I agree with you that him going against uh, Black Thought and Pusha was a real statement. Um, 18 wheeler was rugged, like just like the beat selection was, was incredible. You know, the song with India at the end was so like autobiographical um, and, and personal. Um, I thought it was amazing. So I'll give I'll give it to you on that. And, and the guests on this are very very different too. Like it surprised me. I, I was expecting him because of the framework of the first one to come with real like spitters on this one you know mm-hmm. uh, I, I would, it wouldn't have surprised me if he had Royce and Gibbs and, and some of the people he's been working with lately on it um, so it was a real departure uh, but you know I champion that because who wants a sequel that basically just rehashes the original you know mm-hmm. um, so thematically it's there but sonically you know the the, the guest choices like all these things or an evolution from the first one, which is why I thought it was really impressive. And I think this is going to be one that over time opens up in a way that might eventually, you know, what I have not done is gone and listened to them kind of back to back. Yeah. I want to do that and really kind of study um, the lyrics and see, you know, where he's going substantively too, because I think it's going to start to open up in ways that we, we can't imagine right now. Too. Yeah. And I actually want to even go back before Tana Talk 3 and really, you know, Benny put out joints with, you know, Green Lantern, 38 Spech and different folks and won't listen to that evolution even further back. Um, you know, and I, what I think is interesting about it and, and not for nothing, you know, one of my closest friends, you know, said, man, that Jim Jones verse was insane and really liked that. Um, you know, Fat Joe is a spitter. He has, you know, arguably my favorite song of the year, you know, his, his joint with Khaled and Cool and Dre. Um, but I didn't get a lot from the guests. But what I think is interesting about the guest list is, and I want to talk about Harry Fraud for a second. These are a lot of Fraud's people. 
Um, so like back in the day when Ninth Wonder would do an album with Buckshot or Merge, you might get a Fonte feature, you know, Premiere, you know, might, you know, reach and grab somebody, you know, from the Gangstar Foundation for his joints. So I like that Harry Fraud did that. And Harry Fraud has worked very closely with French Montana, Jim Jones, um, you know, and, and had an association with Chinks. So to bring those in makes sense. And it reminds you that this is a collaborative record. Yes, there's a main MC, but there's two people kind of playing with the canvas. I have to say, you know, this isn't the Harry Fraud that I necessarily expected. Um, you know, Harry kind of popped on my radar around 2010, 2011, produced a lot of stuff with Action Bronson, a lot of stuff with French Montana. He made these really interesting beats. Um, I think of New Jack for Smoke Dizza, which was an album, you know, the Rugby Thompson that they did together. And that album is big. It's in your face. It arguably overpowers Smoke Dizza. I mean, he talks his ad libs. The beats that Harry Fraud gave Benny are very much, you know, I'd say 33% there. And they let Benny be the other, you know, 66. It lets his story and he kind of has this smoked out jazz, not relying on obvious samples, not you know, doing that big, you know, like kind of banger attempt, um, which I think, and, and you might disagree, we got some of that with Hit Boy. Um, this album sonically is really interesting, but it allows Benny to be Benny, which I think is dope. So that's interesting because that, that you mentioned those Harry Fraud references. My entry point, or at least the most, the, the time I started to really take note of Harry Fraud was his work with Currency. And sonically, this is very much in that vein because mm -hmm. just like that, like um, it's very dark. It's very uh, subtle. I call it, um, you know, kind of night music or, or, or like soundtrack music. It's kind of music you find on like a Joe Budden mood music kind of project where mm. it's, 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 it's meant to kind of evoke those kind of like, um, you know, dark emotions. And so the, the sound that he gave Benny fit what I expected to hear from, from him, you know, and I think it is very much in that same chamber as like an alchemist or a Derringer with a little Word. bit more polish, you know? Um, and so that didn't surprise me, I, but, but, you know, I think that, you know, Harry Fraud, uh, you know, he brought a lot to the table and I think that Benny is showing that he really shines with one producer, man. He really likes these cohesive, like sounding projects because, you know, this burden of proof and a lot and, and time to talk three you know um i can't remember or, or, or you know uh, two i can't remember who is um who's producing the lion's share of that but i, I would think it was derringer but, it was uh, derringer now yeah, yeah. And, and dj shea would come in yeah. he, you know was part of plug talk one and you know yeah. r.i.p um but yeah yeah so um that you mentioned something oh go where ahead would you, where would you rank this out of the four Benny projects we've been talking about, or how would you rank those four? Right now, um, <laughs> I would go Burden of Proof number one, Plugs I Met number two, the first one, and that's like neck and neck with Tana Talk three, and then this. And I hate that because that only tells part of the story. You know, I, I do know enough of Benny's early material to say this is very elevated. Again, I think that this is right, you know, very good, great. I'm about eight or nine listens of the whole project. It's a 30 minute album in, 
um, that, you know, I could very well be sitting here in September and going, oh man, I was wrong. But I, I, I by no means am I knocking this album, but I think in the contrast of the others, it comes in number four. I'm going to go, <laughs> this is going to be controversial <laughs> with you for sure. Yeah. And maybe everybody else also, but I'm going to go uh, Plugs on Matt, the first one, number one. Number two for me is going to be Time to Talk. And the, the interesting thing is that you and I debated whether or not to put that on our year end list. And I, mm -hmm. I think it was like 20, I can't 18. remember, 20, 2018. Yeah. And we ended up going with, um, with uh, Gun uh, Supreme Blindtel. Um, yes. And I think we both kind of regret that now, you know, um, or at least I do. I would have definitely put time to talk on it. Yeah, yeah. Um, number three for me would be um, probably this, man. And number four would be Burden of Proof. Mm -hmm. Number four would be Burden of Proof. Because for me, Burden of Proof is the project that sounds least like uh, traditional Benny to me. Mm, you know, yeah. Like, uh, you know, Hit Boy did his thing, but it's a departure from the Benny sound. You know, Benny sounds great on it, but but it's, it's a definite departure. So I think that's probably why it lands at number four for me. It's a really interesting point. And I, I like that in hip hop. I mean, I think that exists with De La Soul's catalog, I think it exists with Jay-Z's catalog, Outkast, and I'm not sure I could find a whole lot of others where you can take, you know, four great albums, you know, and ask people and get different ranking systems, um, you know, but no matter what, I mean, it comes back to the point that you made, you know, two years, Benny, you know, has anybody been better over the last two years than Benny the Butcher. And, um, you know, what do you think about that? Well, that's, uh, that's the caveat I agree with, with you in that, like, listen, we just both ranked the four, but I think that um, they're four of the best rap albums of that two-year period, and they're all great. Um, I, I don't think that there's anyone who's had a better um, last two years. You take the last 24 months I don't think there's anybody better. Um, I think that, you know, Royce is in the conversation for sure, but um, Book of Ryan was what, like three years ago? Yeah, it falls out of it. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned Royce, the, the, the one artist that is in the conversation is, and we've talked about him on this podcast, is Freddie Gibbs, because in that window, you have Alfredo and Bandana and uh, you know, a, a, a ton of features and whatnot. A ton of features. I mean, I mean, dude, like, I mean, you know how I feel about both of those albums. Like, I think mm -hmm. that Alfredo, like, uh, just continues to open up to me now. And I like it way better now than I did when it first came out. I mm -hmm. really understand. Just, I really appreciate that the genius of that, that album now. Um, and Bandana, like, from day one, like, that mm -hmm. was just a joint to me. But still, that's two albums compared to Benny's four. And when you talk features, like, I mean, Benny has been on a million, he's been on Griselda projects, he's been on like, you know, he's, I, I can't think of many people who've had more features than the dude either. Yeah. So for him to have that kind of quality for his own albums with that kind of output, it's just mind blowing to me, you know. Um, 
I guess Conway and Gunn fall into the conversation as well because they're also prolific. Yeah. Um, but I don't know that either, I don't think either one of them has four. You know, I think maybe a couple for each. You know, that the, that that are that level. Um, yeah. Boldy James is another one. So Boldy James had four albums last year, and I loved three of them. You know, um, and the fourth one I just hadn't listened to that much. Uh, but you know, in terms of impact, he didn't have the same kind of impact that Benny did. You know, um, so yeah, man, I I don't know that there's anybody who's had the level of impact, been as prolific and been yeah. as consistent as Benny has over the last two years. Yeah, I mean, I think a great athletes like you know Satchel, you know Satchel Page pitching, you know, not on a five day rest, but pitching day after day, and you know, putting up these incredible stories, and that's what Benny's done. And I'm somebody that, you know, often used to shrug when DMX put out two albums in one year and, and Doom put out two great albums in one year. And, and Benny's, he's doing it. He's putting his legacy on the line because I also think that Benny's, you know, contending in a social media era. And I think that there is a knee jerk tendency among hip hop fans to, you know, push an artist down when when they're winning. I mean, I think we saw that a little bit with Chance the Rapper. I think we've seen it, you know, I mean, pick an artist and you can see the resistance. And, you know, Benny continues to rise in profile. The consistency is still there and he, you just can't discredit him. I mean, here I am saying, yeah, the album might be the, the lowest of the last four, but it's still, you know, breathing down great. And, and that, that says a lot. So you mentioned Doom and DMX. What what are some of the best two year runs by any MC? DMX, you know, ninety eight, ninety nine. I think you get two, possibly three albums in there. I can't remember when his third came out, but that's a huge run. And and with that, I mean, there's again, and that's a great example. The features. So you got that. You got fifty. You know, around his. You know, shady you know, aftermath beginnings, you know, 0203. I think Doom, which, you know, he put out mm Food and Mad Villain and Danger Doom with all within a two-year window. Incredible run. And on top of it, you know, was throwing out features like, you know, uh, Rock Cocaine Flow and different stuff. Um, I think, you know, you tell me, but Biggie, and, and would you say it's the year before Ready to Die or the year after? I said the year after because you know you had mm-hmm. ready you had ready to die that's that's one year but then you had like you know all junior the mafia yeah junior mafia the, the features like uh, you know he had a really great run um, you know mm-hmm. really great run um, so oh go ahead you know I, I think um, I think you know people are gonna hate I'm, I'm I'm prepared to take the hate man I'm prepared <laughs> to take the hate um, but Drake. Like, um, Drake has not only had a phenomenal two-year run, but he's had a phenomenal 10-year run. The dude had 10 straight years uh, where he had a song in the charts, uh, like some sort of performance in the charts. And you talk about, it's not going to come out in his albums because his albums are spaced out. And, you know, we've had this conversation many times that arguably he doesn't have a classic album. But if you talk about the features this dude has been on, uh, I mean, he has run the clubs, the radio, cars, like whatever, for 10, so t- 2009 to 2019, 
I don't think we've seen a run like that period by any artist of any genre. So, you know, I mean, maybe Jay in, in rap, um, you know, but it's hard and it's different and Jay. Yeah. I mean, and, and different, but I think in going back to the two year, that's a really good point. You know, Tupac 95, 96, me against the world into all eyes. You know, you can make the case Jay at the top of his album making career, but I also think like, you know, the, the era of blueprint 2.1 into, you know, the black album, you could make it blueprint into, you know, rock La familia in there. Um, also just on the group tip, you know, I got to say Q-Tip 90 and 91, um, you know, cause Fife really evolved on the second album and Guru. I mean, we talk about premiere, but Guru coming in from moment of truth into the full clip, the new songs on full clip and, and joints like the song full clip, pretty insane. And then also you mentioned him earlier in the podcast, but pun, you know, in the album, in the year before capital punishment through that album, all the features, all the, you know, the freestyles, the moments, pun. I mean, there's a lot going around, but, you know, I think with what Benny's done, you know, in, in the last two years, it's, it's in that conversation 100%. And as much as I love Freddie Gibbs and have since he was, you know, since the Interscope Records days, um, I think Benny is definitely the most consistent and the best MC of the last two years. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, um, I don't think that Benny edges gives on quality because I think they've both been like just like top notch, like, you know, tier one MCs over the last two years. But I think when you, you factor in quantity, he gets the, he gets the edge. Yeah, I'll, this is going to sound like a diss, but I think Benny sometimes does a little more with less. If you give Benny the Butcher an album with Mad Lib, the excitement that that brings to the table I mean, you and I both agreed that, you know, Bandana was among our top two albums of 2019. And for me, you know, Benny was in my top two albums of 2020. But I don't think I certainly wasn't, you know, super geared up for Hit Boy. I'm a huge, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a very, you know, very aware fan of Harry Fraud. I was excited to see how this sounds like, but it's not the Mad Lib effect. It's not the, you know, um, so I think that accounts for something. And, you know, certainly Benny's worked with Al, but a whole album, we haven't seen that yet. Um, so I think that factors in too. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, so what else is going on? It was a crazy week um, for Kanye. Yeah, man. That feels like an oxymoron. To, or, uh, sorry. Uh, yeah, um, I'm being redundant <laughs> with that one. You know, like, uh, uh, you know, Report came out on Wednesday that Ye was worth $6.6 billion. Um, unsurprisingly, that rumor came from Kanye himself in his camp. You know, it's, it's getting around the time of Forbes annual, like, richest, you know, celebrities list. And, um, you know, I was unaware. I thought that Forbes typically did their own kind of due diligence and, and research. Uh, and, and maybe that is the case uh, on this to kind of like piece together these, um, these lists, but apparently Kanye delivered you know, a bunch of information to them, um, setting out his net worth. And he had it at 6.6 .6 billion, which would have made him the richest um, black person in the country and second richest in the world. Uh, and, you know, Obviously, huge, huge uh, reaction to it. Uh, as Kanye is a, a master at it, like I don't think there's anybody better at manipulating media attention. Uh, not named Donald Trump. Uh, <laughs> yeah, beat me to it. Um, 
I think it's even better than Kim, which is crazy, you know, and, and the Jenners. Um, but um, Forbes very quickly came up with their own uh, kind of counter to that, and they pegged his worth at 1.8 billion. Now, listen, um, even if it's worth 1.8 billion, I, I believe that still makes him the richest person to ever come from hip hop. You know, he surpassed Jay, he surpassed Puff. Um, and Dre. So that in itself from a person who, you know, just a few years ago was claiming that he was broken, you know, asking Mark Zuckerberg to give him $50 million, invest $50 million in him. It's just a major, major come up. Like, so there's no knock on that, you know, um, but the way that they came at his valuation was um, they said that Yeezy uh, grossed $191 million and, and royalties just for him. That's not the revenues, but the royalties that he got, which I would assume is around 10%, uh, was $191 million. And so they, they put a 9x multiple on that. So nine times that is roughly $1.5 billion. They also said he has cash and other assets, vehicles, furniture, livestock, jewelry. You know, livestock is a, a, a pretty hilarious one. Yeah, uh, but I guess that that ranch in um, Wyoming, in Wyoming, like you know, is uh, you know is stocked with with animals. But they put that at 160 million. Um, his music catalog, interestingly, is uh, at 90 million. You would think that you know, given the the uh, impact that Ye has had and how big his sales have been, and like other productions for artists like Jay and so forth. His publishing, I would think, would be worth a lot more than that. Uh, but they put that at $90 million. I actually think that's an undervaluation, personally. Mm -hmm. Skims, which is uh, Kim Kardashian's uh, you know, clothing company, bodywear, um, he's got a stake in that that they value at $64 million. And here's where the uh, major discrepancy was. that you know He signed this, this deal with The Gap. He's, um, he's you know... Uh, going to launch a clothing line with them and Gap stock skyrocketed the day that it was announced because people understand the impact of Kanye. They put that valuation at zero dollars. Now Kanye had it at some, something absurd like I think it's 3.5 billion or something like that. But zero dollars is, you know, they said because nothing's launched yet. Now we know something's going to launch. Yeah, We know when it launches at least the first line is gonna like just is gonna mushroom, I believe, just because of who Kanye is. So, I'll, you know, I, it has some valuation. Uh, you know, I think it probably would put him north of two billion dollars, which is yeah. amazing. Huge. It's just absolutely absurd, you know. Um, but you know, um, that's how they broke it down. Now, I have a question for you. Uh, so Yeezys right now, you know, everything is based on cultural currency for him, you know, and I think that's arguably the case for Puff, you know, which is why he stays relevant. And, but, you know, it's his cultural currency that, that keeps the value of Ciroc where it is. I'd say the same thing for Jay. You know, if he's not Jay-Z, then, you know, the things that he touches aren't going to have the same value. Kanye has been an extremely polarizing figure for the last several years. You know, he's a guy who wore a MAGA hat. He was an open supporter of Donald Trump. Well, on TMZ, you know. TMZ, you know, talking about slavery being a choice and doubling down on it. Like, you know, who is Kanye's like fan base at this point? And, you know, 
uh, do they subscribe to his views? Do, do they like Kanye's clothes and shoes in spite of Kanye? Do they like the rebellious attitude? Like, what do you think gives Kanye his cultural currency at this point? It's a really, really good question. And, you know, I'm, I'm amazed at, you know, how many folks I see wearing, wearing Yeezys. I mean, for me, I've always, there was a period of time where Kanye West was my favorite rapper of the moment. I think, you know, 2010, that was absolutely true. 2007, that was true. I never stopped listening to his music, but I certainly, just as a, um, a person who values, um, you know, the political space, the social space, I am, you know, racially conscious. I certainly muted Kanye, um, you know, after that Charlemagne, the God conversation. And, and when he started to seem like he was breaking through and, and then wasn't. But I think there's a lot of people out here that just don't care. And I think that Kanye will always have um, an exponential cool factor, but it might not be to the people that read Ambrosia for Heads or listen to this podcast or, you know, know every, know all the developments that you just said. He's still just the guy that wears his hat a certain way, could sell a hundred dollar white t-shirt, blah, blah, blah. And that's why Gap is happy to be in bed with him. Yeah, you know, I've been thinking about it. Like, it's, it's really fascinating to me. So first of all, you know that I personally have really hated the media coverage of Kanye over the last several years for a number of reasons. One, I don't think that they, you know, on, on the one hand, people acknowledge that he's had struggled with mental illness, mm -hmm. yet they don't filter the things that he says through that that lens you know and so um i think that that's exploitative and people just seeking to get headlines from a person who at times i think is is in trouble you know um really needs you know you know some help um and he's like been open about that you know at times too secondly i i think that a lot of times people pluck headlines out of an hour-long conversation he says has where in like you know 55 minutes of that He's saying really intelligent and bold things that people choose to ignore, very empowering things, and people just want to run with the racy headline, which I think diminishes him and makes him um, seem lesser than what he really is. Um, so th there's those things. But putting that aside, like um, I think that um, there are a few people, I think it falls into a few different categories. So one, I think people who just love his rebelliousness and just want the outlaw and are, are going to be down for whatever the outlaw does, a person who just doesn't give a, you know, and mm -hmm. just does what he or she thinks and whatever they want, whenever. I think that there are people who fall into that camp. I think for others, he may be, you know, like the heel in wrestling, you know, like um, people love the the hero, but the, the heels are like, those guys are like even more popular and like, you know, um, I think Kanye has played that role of a heel. Like I think Takashi 69 was a heel. I think yeah. that, you know, we, we did a piece about um, Kanye being the Andy Kaufman of his era, you know, mm -hmm. Andy Kaufman literally became a wrestling heel, you know, because he understood like the kind of the power of, that that has. And so, uh, you know, you think about a Dennis Rodman type, I think Kanye kind of fits into that box for a lot of people too. And then the third category is, you know, you, you touched on it. I think that um, some people just don't care. They think yeah. that the sneakers are fly, you know, and, you know, um, and I guess there's a fourth in that like 
for some, Ye has made some incredible beats. And because of that, his legacy endures and they're willing to overlook, you know, the other things and that cool cachet is there. But I say all that to say that, like, you know, that cool factor is such a, an integral part to the value of what he has. You know, Yeezy's, if Kanye stops being cool, um, the value plummets. If Kanye stops being cool, the value of the Gap thing plummets. I mean, you don't see many people out wearing Sean John now or, you know, Rockaway or anything like that mm. because the main people who made it cool are not associated with it anymore. Right. And if Con- that happens to Kanye, then his his wealth goes like that, you know? Uh, so it's, it's really interesting to me. Two things. I think, you know, we're in an interesting era of Kanye and I wouldn't talk about divorce on this podcast for any other way, but I think that, you know, you mentioned the hero and the heel. I think that we could be entering a stage where everyone is curious to see what Kanye's post Kardashian life looks like if that divorce goes through. Um, and Kanye, more than any artist in hip hop history, you know, his music is affected by who he's with. You know, we watched the college dropout era with Alexis, we watched the Amber Rose period, we watched the Kim period, et cetera. Um, and this is going to be really interesting because I think in the hip hop community, you know, there are a lot of folks that, you know, developed a healthy distrust of Kanye, the brand, when he went all in on that, you know, on that family and appeared on the show and the way that, you know, he was portrayed through other folks, you know, social media accounts, et cetera. So that part's interesting. The second thing is, you know, I just want to speak a little bit to these, um, you know, Forbes and Bloomberg lists. I actually did the 2007 list for Forbes um, on, it was called uh, Hip Hop Cash Kings. And the, the editor there, Zach O'Malley Greenberg, has done it, I think, every year since with a staff. But I worked with an editor at Forbes. Um, at the time, I was at All Hip Hop, and they came to me and asked me. And it's very interesting. That was the year when Jay-Z appeared on the uh, 50 Cent I Got Money remix. Um, and also, you know, they did the, you know, it was what, him and Puff and I think Jay. And then also, you know, Jay had made the line, figure what the Forbes figured, then figure more. Um, you know, those are tricky because I remember working at the time and we knew that it was going to be in that class that you just mentioned, your Jays, your Dre's, your, your 50s at the time and Diddy. And whereas 50s team was very happy to cooperate and provide documents, provide, you know, and that was during the vitamin water era. Um, you know, I never heard back from Dre's team and we would reach out preliminarily and be like, hey, do you guys want to participate? Nothing. Eminem, same way. And then we would go back a second time and say, hey, we, these are album sales. These are estimations. We've spoken to your, you know, apparel partner on, on shady clothes, or we know of this deal with XM or Sirius at the time, you know, can you confirm or deny? And you're only so you're only as good as the participation you get. And I think that that list wasn't the first year for it, but it was certainly in the first three or four years of it. Um, that list has come to mean so much. It's why Forbes releases that list you know, different variations of it throughout the year. And I think that artists, um, the year that I did it, Young Jock was on the list. And if I'm not mistaken, since that, that time, and they've made an e-special out of it on the, on the e-network, you know, Young Jock has filed for bankruptcy, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, whereas Jock's people knew that that was an opportunity to get some high profile recognition, and he did have one of the biggest records, there's certainly room, you know, great room for margin of error. 
And, you know, especially when you have artists that don't, might not, you know, sort of like the former president might not want their, their tax statements to reflect um, what a publication is speculating. There's just a host of, of, of mess. And I saw a lot of hip hop publications running with, you know, the 6.6 billion figure. And I, I uh, kind of brought it to you. And then you did a deeper dive that was like, nah, son. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, man. I I think about it too. Like, um, you know, most people are not going around screaming about how much money they have because, you know, the IRS isn't, what does Jay say? The letter boys, the alphabet boys, like, I mean, like, you know, and 6.6 billion, then you're you're paying taxes on that 6.6 billion too. So I mean, yeah, but in any case, whether it's 1.8, four or five hundred million like whatever like um you know all props to kanye for um turning around what seemed to be a pretty dire situation years ago for parlaying his artistry into um multiple revenue streams and you know and building an empire pretty dope yeah get good music to release that q-tip album man yeah you know um so you mentioned drake earlier and drake made some uh some some history this week you want to talk about it yeah, you know, he re- released Scary Hours 2 a couple weeks ago, another three-pack uh, from him. Um, you know, he made history by having all three of his songs from that debut, not only in the Billboard charts, but numbers one, two, and three, which is uh, pretty incredible. Um, never been done before by one artist to have three debuts within you know they went in the order um that they not surprisingly in the order that they were um actually on the project Hmm. uh you know and i think that's just a function of you know people hear you know the first track and then they you know uh second one some uh some listen to that and then uh, some others fall off that and so you know that's that's what it is but like you know drake continues to break down barriers now even He's been around Theo cameo just hit um, even though he's, you know, been around for 10 years, he continues to break barriers. And so like, yeah, I thought that was pretty amazing. Absolutely. Let me make sure my lovely dog stopped barking. Um, You know, another interesting thing this week is, uh, you know, a film that I didn't even know existed. Um, A short film called two distant strangers. It's all good. It happens to us all these days. Yeah, man. You and I are both. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, A short film, 28 minutes long that I didn't know existed. Two 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 Distant Strangers was nominated for an Oscar award as best short. Now, it's funny because I, for years and years, when living in Philadelphia, you can often see when it comes to short films, both animated and... Welcome and- to the new age of intelligence. Is that me? I think so. Wow, we're going wild. We're going <laughs> I don't know where it's from. Okay, uh, so, uh, sorry about that. Go ahead. It's all good, man. You were just trying to do your due diligence on Drake. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, Joey Badass was in a film called Two Distant Strangers. I didn't know it existed. For years, I would go see the Austin nominated shorts because they would play them at the local indie theater in philly during covid that's not going to happen but it's a film produced by you know puff van lathan jesse williams and it's inspired by the 2020 protests and joey badass who let's not forget portrayed inspected deck on the uh, hulu series continues to just you know cultivate his acting chops 
and he played the um, the protagonist. So Joey, you know, shout out first of all to that. I, I do want to see the film. I got to figure out how to do that, but I'm sure it's available online before the Oscars. But um, Joey tweeted that he was going for EGOT, which is you know Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony. And my question to you, just as a guy who has a lot of experience with award shows, I don't know that Joey's a producer on this film. Um, the short film is Oscar nominated, provided it wins. Does that count as the O? Yeah, man, for sure. Like, I mean, a lot of people, like, you know, Common, like, you know, going for the EGOT, he gets it for not acting, but for soundtrack, right? Like, so if Joey is getting it um, for an acting role, long or short, like, I, Absolutely, that kind. But of. it's the film that's nominated. Uh, I mean, okay, yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, yeah, I mean, is he? He's not a producer, though, right? That I want to verify, and and and, I, and I'm not here to be the uh, yeah. no, you know the. I hear you. I, I, yeah, I, I get that. Yeah, I get that. If if he's not, um, you know, if he's not um, getting the statue as an actor or for an individual contribution. Yeah. It's hard to claim that. And you know, Rhymefest won big on those songs and he didn't perform on those records. He helped, you know, the writing with Common and John Legend. So it's all tricky, but the bottom line is I do want to see the film and it does sound like it's, um, you know, very uh, much of the zeitgeist of what's going on right now. Joey's a great actor, man. His, his uh, role on Mr. As Mr. Um, Mr. Robot was amazing. So I, I never peeps, but I've heard you are not the first person I've yeah. heard say that. So two other small bits of news. Um, Gibbs and Al, we've been talking about Gangster Gibbs on the show. Uh, they were on Fallon. Did you catch it? Yeah, I caught it, man. It was cool. Um, you know, it was um, clearly shot offset. Um, they were at a table, um, you know, uh, joined by some women having a fine dinner. Uh, and it was just cool to see, you know, Freddie Gibbs on the Fallon show, man. Like, um, just such a big come up from a dude who's been such a, you know, underground you know, street, like very, um, you know, hardcore MC for so many years. And for him to have his career arc like it is now, it's just phenomenal to see. So yeah, I thought that was worth calling out. And another thing that um, was cool is that um, both, I think it was uh, E-40 and Ice Cube posted on their IG, um, you know, they're, they're Too Short and uh, E-40 were talking about this on the Versus about a Mount Westmore project with them and Snoop and Ice Cube and um, both Ice Cube and um, and E-40 posted a uh, an image of the four of them on like a Mount Rushmore type mountain, which is really dope to see. Um, someone gave details to, I, I think it was 40 who said that, um, there's um, going to be a guest on there, a very noteworthy guest, Dr. Mm. Joy, and that Cube had pulled them in because, uh, you know, obviously he's uh, or Snoop, he Snoops and Cube's guy. So, yeah, man, sounding like that is more and more real. No details on it, but I thought that was a cool, like, teaser. I love the 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 Dre note because it's all about production. Snoop dropped a joint called CEO this week with Rick Rock producing. Um, I want to see Quick, I want to see Battle Cat, I want to see Fred Wreck, Daz, like get the West Coast OGs and do this right and as big as it means to fans like you and I. We're... So new music, uh, anything that caught your ear last week? Yeah, man, I mean, shout out to Cypress Hill. Um, um, we had reported it over a year ago, but, you know, after 
working with Muggs on the last album, they announced that the next album was going to be produced by Black Milk, which is one of those things where you have to like, did I read that right? Because Black Milk, obviously, you know, uh, an artist that's dabbled in electronica, works with a live band, but, you know, closer to your Sean Prices, your Feral Manches, obviously the Detroit sound, Royce, so on and so forth, Guilty. Um, first joint came out, Champion Sound. I really liked it. And, uh, you know, Cypress Hill continues to evolve and show different flashes of that. Um, so I caught that. And then you put me on to a D-Nice joint. Yeah, man, this is the one-year anniversary this weekend of the nicest, you know, major, major, like 100,000, you know, simultaneous users night where you have Michelle Obama in it and, um, you know, uh, Will Smith and like... <laughs> Quincy yeah, or something. Yeah. All these people, man, um, and really just kind of healed the world, man. I mean, like, um, we we're all going through lockdown. We've been shell-shocked after a week of it. And he was just spinning for friends. And the first day it was like, you know, just a couple thousand people. Second day it was like 25,000. And then it mushroomed to 100,000. And um, so he continues to, you know, he was involved in the Super Bowl. Like he continues to really like um, up his game in, in an amazing way. And so now he's releasing original music, which obviously, you know, he did back in the day with Call Me D Nice. The TR-808. Yeah. Now he's got a song called No Plans for Love featuring Neo and Kent Jones. And uh, R&B track sounds a lot like a DJ Cassidy type of project, you know, where he is kind of stepping back and being the orchestrator rather than the performer. Uh, but a real cool track and like, you know, really dope to see, um, you know, it's off L.A. Reed's label Hitco. And, um, you know, just dope to see D still doing it, man. Yeah. People forget, man, I think it was D-Nice that put Kid Rock on, which, uh, you yeah. know, might not sound in vogue now, but, you know, on Jive Records back in the day, D-Nice, you know, he goes back, I mean, even beyond BDP. And, uh, you know, shout out to D, shout out to Derek. Yeah. Um, two quick two quick nuggets. Um, Static Selector, you know, one of the more respected producers in the game right now, put out uh, a joint that we had alluded to with Code of the Fiend, who's on his last album, called To Kill a Sunrise. I enjoyed that. Brooklyn Spitter. And, you know, we talk about Joey. Joey, some of Joey's best music has been with Static. So it's great to see him kind of, you know, mentoring and putting out meaningful work with another Brooklyn Spitter who's also very soulful and clearly, you know, a student of the 90s. And, you know, speaking of the 90s, another joint that I just would be remiss not to talk about is uh, Gotham. So that's the group of Talib Kweli and Diamond D. They put out one single a few months ago. They came with a second one with one of your favorite artists of the last year, Busta Rhymes. It's called The Quiet One, a title you would never expect to see on a Busta Rhymes joint. But it's important just to mention that album, I have to say, and I'm one of those people that in the context of Black Star finds Talib, you know, arguably, you know, more, certainly just as, as important as most. But this is the most... Uh, pun intended, I've anticipated a quality project since the Reflection Eternal Reunion album. Um, so, you know, shout out to Gotham for all you DITC, Black Star, Reflection Eternal heads. Um, definitely peep that joint. That's dope. Yeah, I got to check that out for sure. All right. So what's your song of the week? I am Jake. I be six foot one, six foot. 
Uh, I'm going with De La Soul, IMIB. Just one of my favorite records. It still breaks my heart that it's not on, uh, not on the traditional streaming platforms, but man, I'm a balloon mind state guy. And I kept thinking of that as we talked about Benny, because, you know, I ranked my four albums when De La, if you catch me on one days, my number one's De La is dead. I told you that the first time I met you, but I'm of the ilk now where I think that balloon mind state is my favorite De La album. Say all that to say, that's my song of the week. What's yours? Dope. So I just got put on to an album last night by Johnny Hammond called Gears and produced by the Mizell Brothers who produced like a lot of crazy stuff, man. I, I got to really dig into their, their catalog, but they produced Boogie Oogie Oogie by A Taste of Honey. A lot of Donald Bird, like Falling Like Dominoes. Yeah, Donald Bird, uh, you know, Blackbirds, um, Roy Ayers, uh, you know, a lot of really classic, you know, soul joints. Um, but they produced this song uh on johnny hammond's album uh called can't we smile and uh was listening to it today and realized that it is it, you know uh, it, it awakened me to something that i didn't even know as a sample but you know mm. erica badu's times are wasting uh is one of my favorite songs of all time and then at, at the end of the song it goes into a breakdown and she's singing, ooh, baby, you know, we need a smile. And it turns out that it's it's a sample of this or an interpolation of this Can't We Smile, which is really, really dope. So that one that one blew me away. Johnny, I think you mean Johnny Hammond Smith, right? And that was his nickname, like Johnny Hammond, right? Like he had the joint, uh, tell me what to do, like a lot of classic 70s grooves. Are we talking about the same guy? Well, it's just Johnny Hammond, you know. Okay. Uh, you know, just Johnny Hammond. Um, you know, so the album, maybe he's got a Smith in it too, but yeah. Okay. Um, so, Interesting. Yeah. Man, that's great. Well, listen, man, we came into this podcast and we didn't agree on, you know, didn't agree on Ray and Ghost. We have slightly different opinions on Benny, but I think this is... um. This is this is why this podcast exists, and we just celebrated what's new and exciting. And uh, man, I hope people dig it. Let us know what you think. Word, yo, man, uh, to be continued. Indeed. Till All until right. next time. Thanks. Nice.